Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like, if casual and cool, had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, the devastating consequences of an EMP incident. EMP can affect the flow of natural gas and oil through the pipelines because they have an impact on the automated control systems that we just take for granted. They could get knocked out. As a consequence, you're going to have unexpected explosions and fires. So the repercussions will be a cascading effect of disaster. If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. For the month of December, new donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to 
from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to the final episode of Conspiracy Unlimited for the year, the decade, in fact. And let me take this opportunity to wish you all a very happy new year. And I also want to thank all of you who took the time to listen to North and Zach's very first podcast. They just launched Buds and Bros Sports Show. And I thought I'd share that with you. They're thrilled with the response and the number of downloads. And they'll be getting their own account with a podcasting host very soon. And hopefully they'll have as much fun with it as I've had these past two years doing this podcast. Now for this episode... I'm going into the Wayback Machine back to May of 2014 for an old interview on a very serious topic. There have been warnings from scientists and other experts for years that the United States electrical grid system and other critical infrastructures that have been almost completely dependent on electricity and electronic components are highly vulnerable to an electromagnetic pulse or EMP event either from natural or man-made causes. However, Congress and the administrations of previous and current presidents largely have ignored these warnings. Events such as the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack on the United States and then the devastating Hurricane Katrina that revealed vulnerabilities to those infrastructures heightened that concern. Due to the lapse of time and a relatively calm period since those disasters, policymakers have been lulled back into complacency rather than to take preventative action against what could be the biggest threat to U.S. national and economic security in our lifetime. A major EMP would essentially fry every piece of electronics in its path, including the electrical grid. Were such an EMP event to occur, think about it. I mean, we would be thrown back to horse and buggy days in a matter of moments. And the lights would be out for a very extended period of time. We're not talking just 72 hours. That's what they're, during emergency preparedness week, you'll see all of these PSAs and you'll see the posters. You need to prepare for 72 hours. Have enough fresh water and food. Batteries for your flashlights. Prepare for 72 hours until the good, nice people from the government can get there and deliver the services again. But we're not talking about 72 hours. If there's a major EMP event, we're talking possibly years, maybe a decade. No lights. Imagine the catastrophic results on a society so dependent on electricity. Never mind your addiction to your smartphone and and, uh, we. We're talking about a long-term interruption in the delivery of goods and services essential to life. Hospitals, police, fire services... Communication, transportation systems, the delivery of fresh water and food, the delivery of health care. None of these things happen without electricity. It would all come to a grinding halt. So now you're probably asking yourself, what the heck is an EMP? How does it happen? How likely is it to occur? What will really happen after such an event occurs? What's being done about this imminent threat? Well, for the next 45, 50 minutes... We're going to discuss all of that and more. Michael Malouf is a former senior security policy analyst in the Office of the Secretary of Defense in the United States. He is the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. I'm very good, Richard. Thank you for having me. I was just reading recently how uh, state lawmakers in Arizona 
are uh, making uh, are moving to make sure that the people in the state of Arizona are prepared uh, for such an event, an EMP, or it could be a nuclear a nuclear strike. But essentially, what they're saying, if you read the legislation, is they're telling the people of Arizona, "You're on your own, folks." Well, let's discuss exactly what an EMP threat is, and. Um, I mean, my understanding is there are, there are a couple of ways that that, com- that could come about, an EMP, mm-hmm. an electromagnetic pulse event. Let's talk about, first of all, a solar flare or a, uh, a mass coronal ejection. Well, an electromagnetic pulse is a, a high-intensity burst of uh, electromagnetic energy caused by the rapid acceleration of charged particles. They are so powerful and uh, supercharged that they can uh, knock out or completely fry any unprotected electronics or electrical systems depending upon its intensity and its directness in terms of whether it hits you directly or, or just glances off. The aurora borealises that we see, for example, are, uh, are solar flares from the sun, for example, that come close to the uh, Earth but uh, don't quite hit it. Sometimes it will affect our communications. Uh, if they're intense enough, they can uh, affect uh, even the um, uh, our satellites. They can affect our. Uh, they can even affect the astronauts on the space station. And last week uh, uh, we had a we had a, a, a massive yes, solar did. flare that knocked out radios. Uh, I guess it was in the Pacific, the Pacific Rim. Yep. And I might add that the higher you go in the in the uh, latitude, like where you all are, it's going to be even more intense because of your uh, positioning to the uh, North Pole. So that that uh, magnetic the magnetic pole. So it's uh, uh, it, it's anything in the western hemisphere certainly would be affected uh, greatly, and that's from a that's just from a natural cause uh, from solar flares, uh, and NASA has predicted our, our National Aeronautic and Space Administration, along with our National Academy of Sciences, say that if we had a direct hit from uh, a, a solar flare. Um, it would, some of which can be some, some on the magnitude of 14 to 20 times the size of the Earth. That's how massive these things can be. But if we got a direct hit, if it cost $2 trillion in the first year, just in the United States alone, it would uh, take 4 to 10 years possibly to recover, and it would uh, affect, I love that word, affect, uh, about 90% of uh, the U.S. population. Namely, people would... Uh, die of starvation. Right. Effect of, of means medical causes. Right. Effect means death. Right. Ninety yes. percent within the first 90%. year. Uh, yes. What and a it would nightmare! Wipe out your. It would virtually wipe out your urban centers because urban centers are much more dependent than your than your uh, rural areas uh, for for the electricity. Although there would be some some uh, uh, burden on them too, but they would probably stand a better chance uh, simply because they're. Able to grow their own, people are able to grow their own food. Oftentimes, they're able to go out hunting and what have you. Uh, but you, you, but there are other risks. You're going to have, you could have marauding uh, 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 gangs, for example, right. going for the ha- the have-nots, going after the haves. Yeah, that thin uh, veneer of civility. Uh, people, uh, mm-hmm. you know, think, oh, how neighborly they were when the lights went out the last time. But that thin veneer of civility disappears after about, I'm guessing, what, maybe a week. Uh, less than that. Less than uh, that. It begins within hours. Uh, you know, when 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 we when we have natural uh, disasters, 
uh, grocery stores, for example, in the urban areas are stocked maybe for three days of food. The shelves are cleared out within hours. Right. So, it's, uh, it, and and on top of that, in your urban centers, they because of their dependency on on life sustaining critical infrastructures such as uh, food and water delivery, your sanitation, what have you, disease will be a secondary cause. Also, uh, uh, EMP can affect uh, the the flow of of natural gas and oil through the pipelines because of the uh, because they would uh, have an impact on the automated control systems that we just take for granted. Right, they could get knocked out. As a consequence, you're going to have uh, uh, unexpected uh, explosions and fires. So the 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 uh, the, the repercussions will be a cascading effect uh, of disaster. Water filtration that's plants. Perfect. Water filtration plants are dependent on on electricity. So no fresh water. That's correct. That's correct. Now we had uh, we had such an event, um, uh, but we didn't notice it back in the was it the 1850s? It was called the Carrington event, but nobody really noticed. Why was that? That's correct. That's correct. And I think Quebec had a uh, outage in uh, 1989 from a solar flare. In fact, that affected the hydroelectric uh, facility up there. That impact. I think some six million people were affected by that uh, over a course of uh, days and weeks. And and it had and again it began to come on down the U.S. East Coast. And uh, if it weren't for, I believe the station and the, the substation in Allegheny, New York, wasn't able to uh, was able to stop it. Uh, otherwise, it would have taken out the whole East Coast as well. The solar storm of 1859, uh, also known as the Carrington event, was this powerful geomagnetic solar storm uh, during what's called a solar cycle ten. And a solar flare or coronal mass ejection hurt, hit our uh, magnetosphere and induced the largest known solar storm, uh, which was observed and recorded by Richard C. Carrington, hence the name the Carrington Super Flare. Uh, the thing is that it wasn't readily apparent to a lot of people, unless you happen to be a telegraph uh, operator, in which case you may have been electrocuted. Um, and uh, that was because, think about it, in 1859, we weren't that dependent on electricity. But imagine... A solar cycle 10, a coronal mass ejection hitting the Earth today. Well, that's what's staring us in the face. And that's not the only way it can happen, as we are about to discuss, uh, discuss with Michael Malouf, the author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. All right, uh, let's quickly discuss the other way an EMP could hit our shores. Well, the other way would be man-made. Uh and this is generally from a high-altitude nuclear explosion. Uh, the, when it, we're, we're watching North Korea very, very closely right now. They, they just announced that they can uh, uh, launch a missile that uh, can go 10,000 10, miles, but it doesn't have to do that. All they have to do is orbit a uh, satellite, and that satellite in turn could become the nuclear weapon, and it could be orbiting around 150 miles, and that thereby gives them the... Uh, capability to uh, to explode it at that at that height on command uh, anywhere in the world and and this is something we've been watching uh, if you'll recall North Koreans uh, last uh, in December of 12 2012 following a nuclear test uh, began to make overt um, uh, uh, threats to the United States of of uh, of, of of attacking the United States without without warning, and they also uh, made videos showing nuclear explosions in Washington and New York City, 
And uh, this, this, uh, the, the the question was, what, what, why are they doing this, and and uh, and and how are they doing this, and how will they deliver it? And uh, again, that that satellite that that they were able to successfully orbit could become, in effect, a nuclear weapon. Now, the testing that they've been doing has been low yield, and. And, and purposely so, because what our uh, intelligence community is suggesting is that uh, that low yield really is not so much to, for for uh, damage that you would have from a normal nuclear explosion, a large one of uh, considerable numbers of kilotons, but it, it's it's designed to be made into what we call a super EMP, which uh, emits uh, tremendous amounts of gamma rays, more so than than uh, the normal uh, nuclear device would. So in, in the and, case of an EMP, bigger is not necessarily better when it comes to a nuclear bomb. That's right. The more, the more, the more gamma rays that it can emit, the more damage it will do. And, and gamma rays are a form of electromagnetic uh, energy, just like uh, X-rays and uh, uh, your, your radars. Radars emit a, uh, a microwave, and, and that you could put a, a, a terrorist could put a, a radar in the back of a truck, aim it at a building, and knock out electronics. And the thing is, you wouldn't know where it came from. And unfortunately, we have websites today that tell people how you can make an EMP weapon and how to upgrade it so that oh it my. becomes to, so to, to scale so that it could be even more forceful. So 150 miles above the Earth—that's the sweet spot. <laughs> uh, it's one of yeah. That's anywhere from 150 to 300 miles. Uh, the higher you go, the the more coverage you get. And uh, if, if it's ex- exploded over Kansas, it would cover all the continental United States. It's and been about, it's, uh, it's been suggested that, um, and, and I'm sure you've heard this uh, discussed, that you know you could commandeer a large aircraft. Oh, let's say a Boeing 777 and place some small nuclear device on there and fly it over and detonate it. Uh, above the United States somewhere. Is that feasible? Uh, well, I think it would be difficult because you, all the planes have to be uh, accounted for, and I, I think it would be shot down, hopefully. But uh, Just like it, on 9-11? You can, do it with, you can do it with drones, sure. Yeah, you can do it with drones. Uh, Boeing just conducted a, a, a test in which they had EMP equipment that was aimed at a building and knocked out Every computer in that building, and uh, and it just just by flying a drone over, and it doesn't have to be a nuclear weapon per se. It can be a device that uh, emits uh, these, these uh, ter- ter- terrific amounts of uh, uh, microwaves. That's basically what they did to take out every computer in that building. It was a test, right. but it was effective. Well, there's there's an awful lot of chatter right now, and I mentioned the uh, the, uh, the Arizona state legislators right. basically telling people, why is there all this chatter? Are, uh, is there something we're not being told? Is this How, well, how yeah, imminent is this threat? Well, the, I, I think I think given the unsettledness of the world, world order these days, I think people are becoming increasingly concerned. Uh, anything can set off any uh, anybody at any time. Any country with a with a rocket and with a nuclear device is capable of launching an EMP. Your Russians, your Chinese, the Iranians, the uh, North Koreans, the, the Pakistanis, the, the the Indians they all know about EMP and they all got a nuclear capability. And and if even even if we get it, even if let's for example. 
say that the Pakistanis and the and the uh, Indians got into it and exchanged nuclear devices, it, it would affect the world uh, because the and uh, not only because of the uh, radiation but also because of high altitude. And they're very aware of the MPs. So uh, given the unsettledness of things, and I might add, our air, air defense systems, our missile defense systems, are not up to par in the United States. Now, the, the, the North Koreans, uh, and I would say that, that those systems that we have are aimed toward the North Pole area, sh- should there be a satellite or a, or a rocket coming in from the North Pole. But what we've seen is that the, the North Koreans test going over the, the, the South Pole, and we do not have um, uh, missile defenses from that direction. And I would add that uh, because we don't have missile defenses, a number of our folks have been uh, talking about uh, uh, having our Aegis uh, anti-missile defense systems uh, on, on our ships and on our land be able to uh, take take it out. There was a test of the Aegis system uh, about two years ago in which it was uh, it, it successfully intercepted a, a, a rocket uh, coming into the United coming into back into the atmosphere. It was, it was about 150 miles. It had a lot of chemicals on it. And it was one of those rockets that uh, uh, basically fell out of orbit, was heading back to Earth, and it was successfully destroyed. So the, as an interim measure, we're, we're talking about maybe trying to get more Aegis systems uh, either on, sea, at, on, the, on the sea or on the, on the land to be aimed more toward the South Pole area, uh, just in case the North Koreans want to do that. Now, you don't need... Uh, you don't need uh, to have that either. You can have uh, a freighter off the coast and uh, shoot up a missile, uh, uh, just a Scud missile with a rocket or with a, uh, a nuclear device on it, uh, and, uh, and and explode it over the, uh, the megapolis, let's say, from uh, in the United States, from uh, uh, Boston to uh, Washington, one of our heaviest population areas. It would knock out the eastern grid. We have three grids in the United States. It would knock out the eastern grid. But the eastern grid uh, services some 70% of the U.S. population. Now, how is it that, I mean, we can perhaps, you know, defend against a nuclear uh, device which might produce an EMP, but we can't necessarily defend against a solar flare unless we take measures to shield our electronics and our grids. And, and you know, right. why haven't we taken measures to properly well, shield our grid system? Well, that's why I wrote the book. Uh, the federal government, U.S. federal government, has known about this problem for years. They've known about it since the 1960s. And, uh, and I called the book A Nation Forsaken because the federal government basically has let people down. DHS is very aware of it. The U.S. Defense Department is very aware of, of EMPs. Uh, we, we cannot get the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, to make EMP attack one of their 15 planning scenarios. Now, those planning scenarios are very important because if there is an event, uh, th- then, then those, those scenarios are kicked into effect on how to proceed. And the problem is, is that at the state and local levels, those, the first responders and the emergency services in the, in the United States, in, in the states of the United States, uh, take their lead from the uh, federal DHS. And if the DHS isn't going to do anything, they're not going to do anything. Right now, this minute, uh, states are ill-prepared. <clears throat> Even first responders are ill-prepared to deal with an EMP. 
And with an EMP, you have to assume all of your electronics and all of your communications goes out. And that would also include your emergency vehicles. Uh, uh, I, I heard testimony uh, last, last year uh, from uh, uh, first responders in uh, Massachusetts in which uh, they said that uh, if their trucks were affected by an EMP, they would, they would be knocked out. They wouldn't be able to respond. And if you don't have the communications, then, then, the, then the question is, what do people do? And, my, again, my, I call the book a nation forsaken because the federal government has let people down. Now what we're doing, a number of us, uh, at the, uh, uh, through an EMP coalition that we've established and also through the EMP caucus in the U.S. House of Representatives, we're trying to get states of the United States now to take that initiative. And that's what has begun. Last year, in February of last year, in June of last year, Maine, state of Maine, uh, did pass, wanted to require hardening of their, uh, hardening of their grid. Now, what Arizona just did was to, um, uh, at least tell people to be prepared and what to do on an individual basis and with your families. Uh, and, and the, and, and this is, this is one of the things I raise in my book toward the end of it, of what you can do at the, uh, at the personal level, uh, to, to prepare it. If all else fails, if all of your, uh, governments at, at, at the federal, state, and even local levels fail you. Well, this is what you need to do as an individual. Yeah, I think I would direct people right to the back of the book as soon as they buy it because, <laughs> like, quite frankly, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. We, we, how many times do we have to live through a Hurricane Sandy or a Katrina uh, to realize, you know, the nice government folks ain't coming? That's correct. So, I mean, uh, and how long does it... It's going to be even worse because it will take months, maybe years, as you pointed out earlier in your introduction, and, and uh, people will not be able to survive. How do you what, what's involved in hardening you know the power grid? Well, it takes money, but it but the m- amount of money that it takes is a fraction of what uh, would be the cost uh, if we didn't. I would you know as I said, NASA said just from a natural event, a direct hit from a from a solar flare would cost two trillion in the first year. We're estimating it would be no more than about uh, 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 up to twenty billion dollars at most. Twenty billion. Uh, yeah. Well, the and, Fed the and, Fed and, can and, print that in about twenty seconds. Yeah, exactly. And you know, for for the utilities, it's been an issue of cost. And and uh, what we would like to see done is that the federal government uh, works with the states to make this a much higher priority to start working on that. Now, there has been uh, the our, our federal um, uh, energy uh, regu- regulatory agency has now directed. Uh, the uh, utilities to do just that to start hardening the grid. Now it, it, it's all out for comment, and this this takes time, and because of the democratic process. But uh, there is there is an effort underway right now with our what we call the FERC, Federal uh, Ener- Energy Regulatory Commission, to start taking some initiative out of concern for for this. And I think the thing that really triggered it was cyber attacks. Now, if you can guard against a an EMP, you can pretty much guard against a cyber attack. Cyber attack is very temporary. EMP could be permanent because of the damage and the destruction it would do to your trans to your transformers, to your transmission lines, and and as as you pointed out, frying the in many cases frying these lines. And I would add, you know, during the Carrington event, uh, those telegraph poles, uh, even though they, they singed the wires and, and burned them out, they also created fires. That, 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 uh, 
that that event uh, in 1859, according to accounts I've read, actually created fires uh, where the uh, telegraph uh, right telegraph uh, poles were, and the poles caught on fire, and, and some buildings collapsed. And it, 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 even then, they had effects. Of course, what people saw for the most part were uh, three days of, of beautiful aurora borealis around the world. Wow. It wasn't just right. in the north. <laughs> yeah, and, and those telegraphs, those telegraphs, even though they were knocked offline, because of the power surge, some of them can continue to receive and send messages. Without, without being connected. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more... Listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-patrollable bonus best that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. More of my conversation with Michael Maloof when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. 
get on up to getthetea.com. There are some great holiday specials happening right now. The Holiday Special Flavor Pack includes one pack of Life Change Super Tea Cleansing Tea, one pack of Formula 13 Peppermint Cleansing Tea, and one pack of Life Change Super Tea Pomegranate Tea. Again, this special includes one package each of Get The Tea's three cleansing teas. And normally, you'd pay the regular price of $105. But right now, the Super Flavor Pack is on for just $70. I drink the Formula 13 Herbal Teas every single morning without fail. And they leave me feeling refreshed, clear-headed, and more energy than many people I know who are half my age. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. This tea is specially formulated to help cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. Order now at GetTheTea.com. And don't forget, use the code UNLIMITED on all your orders, and you won't pay for shipping. It's time to get the tea at GetTheTea.com. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Once again, Michael Maloof is with us, former senior security policy analyst in the office of the Secretary of Defense, author of A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Uh, Michael has almost 30 years of federal service in the U.S. Defense Department and as a specialized trainer for border guards and special forces in select countries of the Caucasus and Central Asia. While with the Department of Defense, Michael was Director of Technology Security Operations as head of a 10-person team involved in halting the diversion of military critical technologies to countries of national security and proliferation concern and those involved in sponsoring terrorism. Uh, now, I want to get back to, sh- to the shielding and hardening hardening of the mm-hmm. power grids. You mentioned, you know, the cost, $20 billion, but how long does it take? Is it a lengthy process? Let's sure. say they, get the, they uh, get the green light to do it. Well, if we got the green light to do it, it would take a, if it was a concerted effort, it would probably take a good five years. Uh, what's happening is that with our grid system, we're putting more and more demand on it all the time. Even though we're upgrading, we're still not putting in, putting in the hardened chips, those kind of uh, electronics that can withstand radiation. And that's the kind of thing that we need to be uh, impressing upon them to do, uh, the utilities and even uh, the, uh, the, the uh, state commissions uh, to, to uh, mandate that. And what we're trying to do now is get the states to uh, require the utilities to start doing that. Now, we've gotten some uh, positive uh, feedback from uh, Texas, uh, New York, uh, North Carolina, uh, Maine, certainly, and now uh, uh, Arizona in, in, in talking about preparation. But uh, it, it, Arizona's uh, situation is still not sufficient as far as uh, we're concerned, but it's the beginning, and uh, we have to. I, I do applaud them for at least recognizing this problem and, and taking the action that they have to date, and hopefully there will be follow-up. But uh, it will take it will take some time, and and Albert, and we're really on borrowed time at the moment, uh, for two reasons. Number one, the sun is going through a cycle right now. It's an 11-year cycle, in which we could begin to uh, uh, realize the, the most intense period, what they call a solar storm maximum, uh, and this can go on for uh, the rest of uh, this year and well into next year, uh, because it has to. Um, it has, has to degrade over time, and if that, and a flare can whip off that sun at any time, and if it's, 
if there's a spot on the sun that's aligned with the Earth, we're, we're in trouble. How, can, how have so we managed far, to dodge that bullet for the last uh, 100 160 well, years? On, well, we're past due. Uh, they estimate they they came in about once every 100 to 150 years. So we're we're on borrowed time right now. And how dependent is the the the, the defense system on the on these power grids? One would assume that they would have their own sort of you know well, uh, a power grid system that would be heavily shielded. But how dependent are they on the the, the power grid that uh, the rest of us poor slobs are? Well, all of our military bases in the United States uh, rely upon the civilian grid 99%. Oh, my gosh. It's it's almost laughable if it weren't so tragic, the implications. Well, what they have done is hardened some of their weapon systems, uh, some of your offensive weapon systems, the F-35s, the the B-2s, but not the the bases, not the... uh, they're, They're working on microgrids, but... That's a very experimental thing. I would add that hospitals would be dramatically affected as well. But, uh, but, but uh, the in, in terms of uh, preparedness and readiness, this is of concern. Now, the one the one other thing that uh, we we noticed, uh, you'll recall that there was a North Korean ship that was um, uh, halted in the Panama Canal had just come out of Cuba. Right, I what remember that. On, what they what they found was an SA two which is a surface-to-air missile. It's an old Soviet-era missile. And, and during the Cuban Missile Crisis in '62, that the emphasis and the focus was on the, the surface-to-surface missiles that were taken out. But they were not focused on this surface-to-air missile, which is nuclear-capable. It'll get the job done. It may be old, but it'll, it'll get, get the job done. It, it'll get the job done. And it was going... And we assess that Cuba has maybe about a hundred of these right now because they were never taken out. And if they're being sent back and forth to North Korea for up, for uh, uh, modernizing and upgrading, then it's a problem. We used to have a uh, this idea of mutually agreed destruction. Now, when it comes to EMP, mm-hmm. let's say warfare uh, based on EMP events, uh, are the, the enemies of uh, NATO, let's say call them NATO and NORAD's enemies, real or perceived? Are their power grids as equally vulnerable? Yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, there, there's the, the all the power. If you're relying upon the electrical grid system, uh, they they don't have independent grid systems. What they are working, what they are working on, of course they have generators, but, you know, dependent upon how much fuel you have to fuel that generator, if it doesn't have any electron, electronics in it, uh, it could, it could go out within a week. Same with hospitals. Uh, hospitals will Im- Im- immediately, uh, switch over to the uh, generators and, and run for about three to five days. Uh, the same, and w- what should also be of concern to people would be your, uh, nuclear power stations. They indeed they, yes. they could they they can cause uh, overheating and uh, and then you have and meltdowns and you would have uh, Fukushima's all over the place. Oh my word! And, and a lot of them are built on not just on, on on your fault lines, but if an EMP were to hit, and again they have they they work on generators as well. And again their their limitation is the amount of fuel that's available to fuel them. And if you have an EMP, the ability to uh, transport fuel to receive fuel will also be uh, greatly uh, hampered. Which and of the you may not be able to get it all? No, no, indeed. Which of the two um, causes of an EMP has you most worried uh, on this particular day? Is it the solar flare or is it uh, terrorist attack? 
not not so much a terrorist attack. I would say a solar flare right now because it can happen at any time. We're right in the midst of that, and and our our national grid system uh, setup is is so overtaxed right now and vulnerable. You know, if a squirrel can uh, uh, knock out a line in Ohio and, and take out the East Coast, that's pretty serious and pretty sad. And that's exactly what's happened. How so, much advance uh, notice would we have? None. None. Oh, well, you would have a few hours seeing the, the flare coming down, but uh, you would not. You you wouldn't have absolutely no time to prepare. No time to prepare. You would have warning that something was coming down, uh, and it travels at terrific speeds. Uh, you're talking hours. It goes without saying we're not here to to cause mass panic, but this threat is real. Uh, it's not getting the attention that it deserves. We're talking about uh, the uh, the imminent threat of an EMP, an electronic or electromagnetic pulse event, which could knock out power grids uh, across the continent, leaving us to freeze in the dark for a decade, perhaps. It would take that long, conceivably, to bring the power back on, to bring the lights back on. Uh, and just think about how all of our activity is so dependent upon electricity. The delivery of essential services, food, fresh water, fuel, medicine, police services, fire services, defense, all dependent on the grid. And once it goes down, the delivery of all of those things comes to a grinding, sudden halt back in the dark ages. What do you do? Michael Malouf is with us, and again, the book is A Nation Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Let's call it a North American Catastrophe. We're all in the same boat here. So let's flip to the back of the book quickly, Michael. Uh, what do we do? Let's say we live in an urban center. What do you recommend we do? Well, people are limited by uh, what, they, what, what resources they have, and uh, if they can stock up some stuff and, and also have alternative Plans. They should have a plan, in effect, on where to go and what to do because uh, uh, the urban center is going to become uninhabitable before very long, and uh, and it's going to be it's going to be chaos. Uh, I'm afraid. So we need a rural retreat. We need a rural basically, retreat. Basically, you need one. And one of the things that I mentioned in the book is that there should be predetermined. Um, plans already mapped out by communities on what, where to go for food, water, medic, med, medicine. People only keep about a month's worth of uh, medication on hand. And uh, and they, there should be prescribed places only, only because you have to assume that all communications will be knocked out. People should be informed where they need to report to and where to, what, what they need to do so that uh, uh, otherwise it's just people are going to be uh, running around uh, like crazy. Uh, and you, and you, we've seen it just with uh, other natural disasters on a, on a far lesser scale. And, well, uh, but but you're saying you know if but if every, if everyone is is trying to get out of dodge and get to their cottage or get to their cave or wherever, I mean that's mm -hmm. going to be chaos too, won't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's there's no happy ending to this. It's the beginning. It's going to be the beginning of the end, basically. It's uh, it would be a very catastrophic development. So, I mean, there then there is an argument uh, for sort of grouping together in a community, rather than everyone heading off to their you know their fifty acres and. Uh, well, if you have a place, that's fine. If not, 
communities, even within the urban environment, need to uh, organize and, and be able to know what to do, where to go, and uh, and how to how to proceed. And uh, but but no one's or, no one's that organized anywhere that I'm that I'm aware of. No, and uh, I mean unless you um, are adept at uh, you know self dentistry and uh, um, uh, advanced uh, first aid. Uh, you know, carpentry, all of those things, and if you can't do it on your own. No, you cannot. Uh, that's why we need to really, uh, and the book talks about some of the survivalist inst- uh, things that we, sh- we should be bringing back. Our, our survivalist instincts are gone because of, because of uh, technology. We've relied upon technology for so long in our, in our day and age that uh, uh, we really don't know how to uh, survive uh, such an event if we were catapulted back to the 19th century. Let's say you have some electronics, um, I don't know, a hand crank radio or something like that. I mean, they would be vulnerable as well, I'm guessing. How do you how do you protect uh, those valuable pieces of equipment that, that would come in really, a generator, for example? How do you protect yeah, well, that the, stuff? Well, it's there are such things as Faraday cages. Uh, they could become expensive. They're, they're basically are sealed steel boxes. And you would you would want to have your uh, a spare phone with batteries and uh, and, a, and a radio already in the in the um, uh, Faraday cage in order to just in case something happens because if you're on the if you're on your uh, cell phone and 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 this event occurs uh, it's out that that uh, that phone's broken and uh, it, you won't be able to use it again simply because of the electronics that are in it now and and, and I would add. Uh, even even the ability to communicate uh, the, the transmissions of it, it will be will be affected. Now in the United States, there they they have been working on an emergency system, and I don't know that it's up to speed to to deal with an EMP. This is when the president comes on and uh, announces an emergency and all that. The emergency uh, um, emergency system, national emergency system. Uh, it's not up to speed for to deal with an EMP. Uh, we just received this email from a, um, a listener who goes by um, the handle The Dude, and he writes, uh, in the USA and Canada, hams, ham radio operators, do a 24-hour emergency disaster communication drill every third weekend in June called Field Day. Uh, and then he says, okay, fourth weekend in June. In a nutshell, thousands of stations set up portable or mobile two-way stations that must work off-grid. So you can use a vehicle generator, battery, solar, etc., to set up a multi-band station and make as many contacts as possible in a 24-hour period. And the dude says he's done quite a few of these with various amateur radio groups, um, or he's laid, lo- loaded his radios and gear loan, I think he means, his radios and gear out to those groups uh, if he had to work. Uh, are you familiar with these, these field day uh, events? I've, I've heard of them. Uh, again, if there's electronics in their system, they're going to get knocked out. Right, unless they're properly shielded in a Faraday cage. Uh, unless, uh, exactly. Now, if you have a, if if your if your plan is to get out of Dodge, uh, so this thing, this EMP event occurs, how are you going to get out of Dodge? I mean, the electronic components in your car are going to be fried. Yeah, well, yeah, that's that's true too. Well, I I think we need to bring back the the, the civil defense systems that we used to have during the fifties at the uh, beginning of the Cold War. We really need to re-institute re, uh, those, put them in the community so that people know where to report to and where to go. There, there you had food that was stocked and, and people were, uh, people drilled and they, uh, they, they had, um, 
the means to uh, uh, survive. Uh, this is this is in, in lieu of uh, the government doing nothing about hardening the system. If we're able to harden the system, then you mitigate the problem tremendously, and and it should be done on on a priority basis with your communications and what have you. But none of that has none of that is being done right now. So I think in 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 lieu of that, the states ought to uh, come back in with uh, uh, local civil defense uh, facilities where people know where they can report to. And everything is set up and stocked, uh, ready to go uh, in, in, in the event of such a, an event. Would you, would you say that this is the number one threat to our security right now? Right now, yes, because if we, if we had an EMP uh, uh, attack or even an EMP event, uh, it's, it's, our ability to, to respond uh, would be very, very limited. We, first of all, we may not even know where the where it came from, uh, let's say if it was a man-made event, we may not even know who instigated it uh, unless we had some really great intelligence, and that's questionable. And you say that uh, they've known about this for the last 50 years, yet have done virtually correct. nothing about it. Correct. We had, in, in 2008, the, uh, uh, there was a congressionally mandated EMP commission that talked about what the impact of, a, of, a, uh, of an EMP event would be on our life-sustaining critical infrastructures. And it was devastating. And it would be a cascading effect. You knock out one of those critical infrastructures, it affects all of them. And we're, talk- we're talking quite a number of them, uh, uh, anywhere from 8 to 18, depending upon what you're looking at. I mean, we're talking about, uh, in addition to the, uh, uh, the grid system, our telecommunications, our banking and finance systems, I mean, it can knock out your databases. You wouldn't even know how much money you had in your, <laughs> in your accounts. I can knock off the petroleum and uh, uh, natural gas uh, delivery systems, our transportation system, uh, food and water delivery, emergency services, as well as our space systems, among others. All of these would be affected instantly. So obviously you want to have a little, uh, well, I mean, I'd say you'd have a little cash on hand, but um, for what? I mean, it's going to be bedlam. Yeah, for what? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, the cash would be worthless. People are going to want your guns. They're going to want your food. They're going to want uh, your medications and and, uh, and any other possessions you might have. And if you have shielded, let's say you've taken steps and you've shielded your generator, so your generator is operating, and it's—I mean—that's just going to be a beacon to all those marauding gangs out there uh, to yes. come to your place. Yeah, and that's why we feel—you know—we have we have. Uh, uh, our Second Amendment uh, right to bear arms and what have you in the United States. I think Canada has a different situation. Oh, we gave that up uh, a long time ago. Yes. Well, well, what are you going to do uh, if uh, these gangs could start roaming? How do you defend yourself? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, we cower under the bed and call nine one one. Oh shoot, we can't do that either. No, cannot do that. No, uh, can do. You know, it's it's frustrating. Well, it's beyond frustrating to know that they've known. I say they, the government, has known about this for fifty years. They've done almost nothing. You've described this right. as the number one threat, and yet, what are they pouring their resources into? Training TSA officials to pat down ninety-year-old Amish grandmothers in case they have a shoe bomb. Uh, it's right. just it's maddening. Well, there's no priorities. Uh, we we have no priorities anywhere these days, and you can just see by the confusion that we're having to deal with. On a daily basis, in terms of our uh, of our national and foreign policies, there there are none. We're only reacting to events. We we don't have a plan, and we should we should have plans uh, for for these kinds of events. And uh, we're 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 not thinking in those in those terms. Uh, we we uh, 
there's supposed to be a hearing uh, next week in the U.S. House on uh, on on EMP. They're going to have a hearing. The utilities will object, and that'll be the end of it. Every year this happens, and then nothing ever occurs. Now we've had what what's called the Shield Act to, to pass the House about three times, never passed the Senate, U.S. Senate. Uh, the Shield Act would mandate uh, hardening hardening of uh, of everything uh, so that um, uh, we we would be able to withstand an EMP. Yeah. As I said, we're not going to go away, get away uh, uh, without a scratch, but we can at least guard the most critical infrastructures that w- that we would have to rely upon until which time we can come back. Our, our transformers, for example, our very large transformers are all foreign made, and we it takes on a it takes about three years to get another one in. We don't keep them in surplus because of their tremendous cost, and they have to be specially designed. Look at what happened down in San Jose. People were shooting out transformers. They shot out 17 transformers with an AK-47. Right. They still don't know who did it. Now, was this a prelude to something larger that's to come? Well, who knows? I mean, that's that's the thinking of some of us, that uh, this is a possibility of a, of a domestic terrorism on a larger scale that could occur by hitting those transformers. And the uh, DHS had a, I think it was DHS, had a report that was uh, leaked that basically said if you hit nine transformers in the United States, and they, they would not identify those nine transformers. If you hit those, then uh, it would knock out all electricity in the United States. Michael, listen, I appreciate the time you've spent with us tonight. And again, the book is A Nation yeah. Forsaken, EMP, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. Thank you again, Michael. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. Appreciate it. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. Have you subscribed to my free monthly newsletter yet? The Inner Sanctum is jam-packed with news and information, and it's delivered free to your email inbox once a month. All you need to do is register your name and email address at my website, strangeplanet.ca. The Inner Sanctum contains a spotlight on previous guests from my weekly radio program and this podcast. There is my podcast pick of the month, a book club, a This Month in Conspiracy History section, and more. The Inner Sanctum is yours, absolutely free. Again, all you need to do is register at strangeplanet.ca. And once you've registered, your name automatically goes into a monthly draw for great Strange Planet gear from my Strange Planet shop. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca. Coming up next time, the Bank of Canada Conspiracy. Briefly, the Bank of Canada was set up in 1934 and then nationalized as a public bank in 1938. And its central purpose during those depression years was to be able to float low interest-free loans, but it was interest-free loans in those years uh, up until 1974 for what we call uh, human capital expenditure and infrastructure, that is, hospitals, health, roads, uh, universities, and whatever needs the country had. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. 
show. And remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs> <laughs>